ahead, guys. Uh, if you have your Bibles, you can uh, open them to uh, Luke, 24th chapter. I'm going to read a long passage. And Nate, can you cut channel 5 down just a little bit, please? Uh, I want to just reiterate some things I said a few weeks ago. Um, I'm looking forward to this month. Um, I'm going to be doing an entire series on presence. Um, I made this statement. I want to just reiterate this because some people are, are here today who weren't here. Um, when I think of presence, um, I think of presence in, in two ways. Uh, the first way I think of the presence of God is the abiding presence. The presence that's in the believer, if you're born again, you have the presence of God in your life. He's in, he lives in you. You're the temple of the Holy Spirit. And the abiding presence, I really think, is the peace of God, the rest of God, the joy of God, the, the fruit of the Spirit. And we all have that. Um, but there's another part of the presence of God I'm very jealous for in my life. It's one I've been on pursuit now for uh, going on uh, 18 years now. And it's his, his manifest presence. It's when God tangibly comes in the room you're in. And as much as I love the abiding presence and I honor the presence, because whether he comes in the abiding presence or the manifest, it's still the presence of God. And he's still worthy of worship. So no matter if fireworks are going off and people's running, at the end of the day, he's still worthy of all praise, worship, adoration. I'm not saying that. But there is that times where, where God will come in, into the room and it is a holy moment because you realize the creator of the universe has manifested himself in your presence. And, and I am and I'm longing for that day where that moment in time becomes reality throughout my entire life. I said it last few a few weeks back that all of Israel was in the glory, but the Levites carried the glory. And I don't want to just be in his presence. I want to be the, the place his presence rises in on. And so I want to talk for the next four weeks about pursuing presence and how that comes about. Um, when I had my first encounter with Holy Spirit, it was August 9th, 1997, in Onion, Alabama, at the Lake House. And the Holy Spirit just wrecked me as a good Southern Baptist. I literally got drunk. I could not walk. I, the ring was spinning. It was an encounter for me. And that encounter with Holy Spirit um, sent me into a two-year encounter with God from the end of 97, uh, just before 2000, where uh, literally I would spend anywhere from four to seven hours a night in prayer and in my word. I was single. I lived at home still, had a job. And so I would do my job, come home, eat dinner, and I would say, Mom and Dad, I love you. I'm going to my bedroom. Because for the first time in my walk with God, I actually encountered something about that had value in it. It wasn't just religion. It wasn't just do's and don'ts. I had actually encountered this Jesus in the Bible. And so I would just start at 7 that night, and there would be some nights I would go to 2 in the morning. 
because the presence of God came. There were a lot of times where there was just the abiding presence. And I didn't know that then. I thought, I would say, God, where are you at? Well, he was, he was already there. But there were times when God would come in my room physically. And it was a moment of great holy fear. Not that God should ever make you afraid. The fear of the Lord in a believer should never make you fearful of him. It's, a holy, it's always a reverent, righteous, honoring fear of who he is. It's never this. Actually, in the fear of the Lord is a really good thing. Just a side note. Proverbs says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. It says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. So the fear of the Lord is a healthy thing we all need in our lives. But it was in that time that I got spirit-filled. I, got, I spoke in tongues all by myself. It wasn't I had nobody with me, no man. So imagine what happens when God just shows up and you make a place for God. And what I hope to do in this four-part series is to take wherever you are spiritually and help catapult you to a place you've never been. Because at the end of the day, we never arrive. There's always a greater place in the world we can get in there's always a greater place of worship we can get in. There's always a greater revealing of who he is. So we never arrive at knowing who he is. How can you? He's eternal. He's without end. He's without beginning. He can never be fully known until we know him in our glorified state. And so for me, that's the beauty of walking with Jesus, is that there's always a fresh unveiling of who he is. That's why Christianity should never be boring. If you're bored and you'll walk with God, you're probably not walking with God. We'll just let that sink in for a minute. Because honestly, I found when you encounter his face, you can't be bored. And if you are bored, you probably just encounter religious hype and not relationship with Jesus. And so, well, amen. And so during that time, I really learned two important things in that time. And number one was the importance of getting in the Word. And number two was worship. And we're going to talk about worship next week. But I want to read this passage. It's a long passage, so bear with me. And just share my heart about this. Um, so Luke 24, beginning in verse 13. Now let me just set this up. So... The ladies have went to the tomb to go bring spice and incense. The body's not been there. and They brought report back to the disciples that the body's been taken. And Peter runs to the tomb and the body's gone. And we pick the story up in verse 13. And behold, two of them were going that very day to a village named Emmaus, which was about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were talking with each other about all these things which had taken place. When they were talking and discussing, Jesus himself approached and began traveling with them. But notice this verse. But their eyes were prevented from recognizing him. And he said to them, What are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you are walking? And they stood still looking sad. One of them named Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, what things? And they said to him, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, 
who was a prophet mighty in deed and word in the sight of God and all the people. And how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. But he was hoping, but we were hoping that was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it, it is the third day since this is, has happened. But also some women among us amazed us when they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Verse 24. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as the women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish man and slow of heart to believe in all the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary for the Christ to serve these things and to enter into his glory? Now this is a really key verse right here. Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scripture. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he was going further. And there's another sermon right there. There's a sermon right there about learning to constrain the presence of God. But we won't go there today as much as I want to. That's really a good word. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it is getting towards evening, and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. When he reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, Were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were there with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and appeared to Simon. They began to relate the experience on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. Father, thank you for your presence. And the Holy Spirit, thank you that you're just the teacher. And uh, Lord, I pray that my words would just be grace with your anointing today, that hearts and ears would be open to receive. And uh, Lord, thank you that you bring revelation, not me. So uh, thank you that for that today, in Jesus' name. Let's just notice this again, verse 27. He explained to them the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. It's vitally important when we understand that the scriptures deal with who he is. Just a few scriptures, for example, and these are on the screen. John 5. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. It is these that testify about me, and you are unwilling to come to me to have life. John 6. Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness, as it is written, and he gave them bread out of heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I said to you, it is not Moses who has given you bread out of heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread out of heaven. He said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never hunger, and he who believes in me will never thirst. The scripture is full and all about who he is. Even the book of Revelation is about Jesus. Not a demon, not a spirit, not Satan. The book of Revelation is even about Jesus. And it says that as, they, as he spoke, that their heart burned within them. Really, it's a unique word there. It means to set on fire, to consume, or to burn with light. 
I wonder, does our heart burn as he speaks to us? I wonder, as we, as we read the word, does our heart burn within us? It's a question I ask myself. I think the reason our heart burned within them is because the word was becoming alive to them. After all, the author of that word was revealing it to them. I want you to ask yourself this morning. When you read the word, does your heart burn within you? Does it cause passion to come alive in you? Does it cause a hunger in you? Does it cause an excitement in the kingdom for you? Let that just sink in. It's like Lisa said the other night, if you're here, we always get preached to before we preach to you. <laughs> so the Holy Spirit always asks us these questions before I ask you. And I want you to ask yourself, does your heart burn within you as he speaks? And it says here, the, the verse, we're going to move on. It says, he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. Huh. How is he recognized in breaking of bread? But he was made known to them. Mm, I'm going to speak in tongues so bad. In the breaking of bread. He broke the bread. Want some bread, Justin? And he was made known to them in the breaking of bread. He wants want some bread. I got Trevor Rose. Bread and bread. Oh, yeah. He, he was known to them in the breaking of bread. Is that good preaching, Mike? Does I have bread? This ain't Lambert's. It's okay. Hey, Dan, uh, Nate, for you, buddy. Do you, do you see what I'm doing? He was made known to them in the breaking of bread. Do, do, do you catch what's happening here? Who wants some bread? Anybody want some bread? It's right here. You can't skip the drummer. He was made known to them. I, I'm doing something. I hope you see what I'm doing. He was made known. Want some? <laughs> did, did anybody see what I was doing there? Anybody else want some bread? Thank you, Nick. I'm trying to get some home to the wife, man. He was made known to them. The word there is gnosko. Those are mine. Don't it's, the word means to know. How do they know him by the breaking of bread? This is interesting, guys. If we, if we catch this, it's amazing. Did you notice how I was handing the bread out? I handed Justin the bread. Justin, if you, what, what do you see? Just think, if this was Jesus handing you bread, what would you see if we'd done this? What else would you see? What? But what would you see in the wrist? What would it be there? What just happened to him? They saw the nail prints. In other words, they saw him in a way they had never seen him before. They saw him as the resurrected Savior. When you break the bread of life open, there should always be a relation of who he is that you have not seen yet. That's how come he was made known in the breaking of bread. What happened? He took all the scriptures and their heart burned. Why? Because they were becoming alive in them. And he was made known by the breaking. They saw the relation. Guys, that's why this book has to be part of our life. Because that's the only way you're ever going to know who he really is. I want to tell you a story before we move on. I was going to do this at the beginning. I have a great friend named Jack Harris. 
Jack has been a missionary since 1982, since Bible school, and him and his wife, Sherry, have traveled all over the nations. They lived in India, they lived in Malaysia, they lived in Indonesia. Matter of fact, Jack made so many converts in India, the government sent him a letter and said, you are never allowed back in our nation because you made too many converts. They planted 6,000 churches in India alone. When the tsunami hit in 2004 in Bondi, Arch, Indonesia, Jack was there within five days on the ground helping the Muslims out. Jack is a true man's man. He is a true missionary. And Jack's also being kicked out of Vietnam for his work in Vietnam, and this is the story I want to tell you about Vietnam. Vietnam is a very dangerous place to go to. As a matter of fact, the pastor he works with there is Pastor Tran Mai, who has been beaten repeatedly for the gospel. Beat him so bad that they would beat him, break bones, take him to the prison, and they would take uh, batteries and cables and begin to electrocute. Pastor Tremai said, you will quit preaching the gospel. If I can't do it, guys, I'm going to preach the gospel. And so one day, Tremai took Jack to the caves because the churches there don't meet in churches because it's illegal. They meet in caves. And um, they actually know what cave. They actually had multiple caves. And they don't never tell what cave to go to. They pray, and Holy Spirit tells them what cave to go to and at what time. And when you go in these services, they said they, they, they clap like this, but they will never hit hands because of the noise, because they can't get rid of the location because it's deadly. And so when Jack went with the very first time back to the caves, Tramai took him to this cave that in the back they had a, a hand crank printing press where over a number of years they had printed off one million Bibles by hand. By hand. Think about that. A million New Testaments by hand. They love the Word of God. They are in danger for their lives every day for the Word of God. Jet was so moved, Jet hopped on the plane to Singapore, went about a printer, a generator, and they have a, a vent system in the caves now to print Bibles electronically now. I hope we understand the freedom in our country to possess this book. And how this isn't to collect dust or to set my drink on it, but this is life. When this becomes Revelation, when it goes from just being black ink on white paper, it becomes the living, breathing word of God. This changes everything in my life. So I want to instill this morning the importance of having this word in our heart. And he was recognized, gnosko to know. Matter of fact, gnosko in the Greek is, is actually very closely related to the same Hebrew word yada, which is in Genesis 4. Now, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain. And when you study this word out, it's very important that this word is, we look at this word yada, because there's four dimensions to this word. There's four things about knowing this word. The first dimension of yada is to know something or someone in complete detail. It means to study, analyze, or investigate something until you know something or someone completely. Second dimension of God is to know God by personal experience. A lot of people know about God, but God wants us to know him through encounters. Not your story. God wants to give you your own story. Not somebody else's. 
in which we personally experience his presence. Third dimension is to have a face-to-face encounter. It is one thing to encounter God's goodness expressed in physical healing, forgiveness, interventions, provisions, or blessings, but God desires an up-close and personal face-to-face encounter. And the fourth dimension is sexual intimacy. That's what the word means. When Jesus said, I never knew you, Matthew 7, yada, I don't know you intimately. You prophesied and you've cast out devils, but I never knew you intimately. It's a scary thought to think you can actually see miracles and still bust tail wide open. Some people even say that this fourth dimension cannot be fully experienced until a person has comprehensively satisfied the first three dimensions. The aim of Yada is intimacy. God desires to have a comprehensive, personal, face-to-face, intimate encounter with each one of us. Say, Ma, you just stop right there, man. Paul, Philippians, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, that I may know him, Gnosko, Yada. Matter of fact, those words interchange in the, the Septuagint. They actually interchange those words. They're so closely related. Guys, do you really know him in your word? And I'm going to say this as well. I have on my iPhone and my iPad, I have Bible apps. I have a Bible app. I love that at nighttime or when I'm driving, it does audio reading for me. But as, 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 as great as it is to have an app on your phone, nothing in my opinion can replace this right here. When you take a Bible and you open it up, because that app that has the audio, you can very easily get sidetracked. I can hear it, but I cannot hear it. But when you give your attention to to this, and you say, speak, Holy Spirit, oh, that's really good. Let me just, I want to reiterate a point I just said a while ago. I want to drive this home, guys, because of where I've had been in my life and what I've seen in the past 11 years and my travels overseas. I want you to understand that right now, in places like North Africa, Libya, Tunisia, Egypt, Oman in the Middle East, Yemen, Iran, Malaysia, Indonesia, there are people being beat, imprisoned, women are being raped, being headed for the word of God. Do you love the word that much today? That's a question you need to ask yourself. It's when I ask myself, do I really love this book? Do I love what this book reveals to me? We got to have the word daily. Deuteronomy 6. Here in Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. These words I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. Listen to this. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk to them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. In other words, the word of God is to be in us at all times. There should never be a time when the word is not in us at some level. Or we can look at this verse, Exodus chapter 16, verse 4. Then the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a day's portion every day, 
that I may test them whether or not they may walk in my instructions. On the sixth day, when they prepare what they bring in, it will be twice as much as they gather it daily. Verse 15. When the sons of Israel saw it, they said to one another, What is it? For they did not know what it was. And Moses said to them, It is the bread which the Lord has given you to eat. This is what the Lord has commanded. Gather it, every man, as much as he should eat, and you shall take an omer, a piece according to the number of persons each of you has in his tent. The sons of Israel did so, and some gathered much and some little. When they measured it with an omer, he who had gathered much had no excess, and he who had gathered little had no lack. Every man gathered as much as he should eat. Moses said to them, Let every man, let no man leave of any until the morning. But they did not listen to Moses, and some left part of it until the morning, and it bred worms and became foul. And Moses was angry. What's the purpose here? Is that every day they gathered the manna. Every day they got manna. What's the point? That every day they ate the word of God. He says, If you leave it to the next day, it's going to break, it's going to break worms. What's that? You can't live off what you ate last night. It's like, it's like going to eat a big old steak. And trying to, <laughs> he says, I'll ride on that, man. <laughs> you got to get that big steak, lobster, and you try to live with that for five days, you can't do it. I know, I, I know I'm skinny. Not a big guy. Small. You can laugh, it's just true. Call those things to be nice as they were. Last night I had my two double cheeseburgers. Oh, man, they were really good. Well, this morning, got to fill that tank back up, baby. If I cannot live off natural food, if I can't live off sushi and hamburgers and hot dogs and pizza and chicken and rice, and I, every day I got to fill back up again, how much more, guys, do I need to make sure I'm always ingesting this in my heart? David said, I hid your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Matter of fact, Running the notes, Psalms 119 is the longest chapter in the entire Bible. It's 176 verses. And out of those 179 verses, 165 deal with the Word of God. Another thought with this passage about eating the manna is simply that it's not just enough, guys, to read the Bible. We have to learn to begin to eat it. You have to learn to begin to eat the Bible. How do you do that? Biblical meditation. Biblical meditation. Now, what is it? Biblical meditation is not the emptying of the mind that's taught in Eastern religion. It's not like Hinduism or Buddhism where you try to become centered and still. By the way, those terms have all been stolen by the, from the church. Centering and New Age, that, that's stolen. I can give you scripture to prove that. But what happens? Come down just a little bit. Come down a little bit more. That's good. It's not emptying the mind. True biblical meditation is actually reflecting on scriptures for the periods of times. You've heard the expression chewing the cud. Perfect picture of meditation. What happens is that a cow will go out in the field and he will graze and he'll swallow the grass when he's eating the hay. And after a while, after he's digested it, he'll bring it up again. He begins to chew it again and again and again. And he'll swallow it again. And he'll bring it up again later on. And he starts chewing on it again. That is a perfect picture of biblical meditation. Let me get some scriptures. Psalms 1. I'm doing this for a reason. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, 
nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. He will be like a tree firmly planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in its season, and its leaves does not wither, and whatever it, he does, he prospers. Psalms 1. Joshua chapter 1. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have success. Even David wrote this in Psalm 77. He said, I will meditate on all your work and muse on your deeds. The word meditate, what does it mean? To ponder or to imagine. So as I read the word, I begin to ponder on it. I begin to chew on it. I begin to think about it. Now, the question then comes, how do you know when to meditate on Scripture? Here's what I've learned. And, and here's the thing, guys. This is all different for everybody. Because the Holy Spirit relates to me differently than he does you. But what I've learned is this. When I'm reading a passage and something jumps out, a word, a phrase, for me that says stop, don't go any further. Matter of fact, for the past nine months now at times, I found myself reading Colossians 2 a lot. Now I just start reading Colossians 2. I'm going to just read this. It's not on the screen. For I want you to know how great a struggle I've had on behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face, that their hearts may be encouraged, having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mysteries, that is, Christ himself, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive arguments, for even though I am absent in body, nevertheless I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, having been firmly rooted and now being built up in him and established in your faith, just as you were instructed and overflowing with gratitude. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. Verse 9, For in him all the fullness of deity dwells in body form. And I get right here to verse 10, and I stop. And in him you have been made complete. Why? Because when I read that, the weight of that scripture just hits me in the face. It says, Paul, in him you've been made complete. So what I do, I begin to meditate on that. I just chew on that thing. In him, I have been made complete. And then what I start doing is this. And I usually have music playing. That's fine, Nate. I have music playing like this slow instrumental slip music when I'm reading the word. Because I, I do this. I start praying the scriptures when I read it. No, you can't, you can't play it, man. <laughs> My bad. I thought the lights went off. I read this. And in him, I'm like, God, you have made me complete in you. And I just say, Holy Spirit, I just welcome you to come right now and make the reality of this passage alive in my heart. And guys, I begin to just sit there and I begin to just pray that as, as he gives a uh, leading to. And I just pray that it might be for five minutes, it might be for 30 minutes, but that becomes my prayer times right there. And I just chew on that again and again and again. And I tell you, I'm convinced that the insight I have in Scripture 
in my life is because I have done this for years now. I have learned to take the Word of God and ingest it over and over. And I wait on it. And I don't worry about, for me, it's not about quantity. It's about quality. It's not about how much can I read tonight. But how much insight can I get tonight from the Holy Spirit. And I want to tell you this on the front. There's been times in reading. Uh, I remember years back, I was reading this particular passage in the book of uh, Samuel. And I knew the Lord had insight he wanted to give me. In the first few minutes, I knew there was an insight he wanted to show me. And I remember sitting there in my room for about an hour and a half that night. And I read that one sentence. It was one sentence. And I read it over and over. And I read it for an hour and a half. Solid. I said, Lord, thank you for insight. Thank you for revelation. Thank you that this Lord is becoming alive in me. Thank you you're making it real. You're going to cause it to burn in my heart. And I got the next morning and I was driving to Birmingham. And I had that thought on my head. It's that same scripture. And I was driving and I was on 65 South. And I got up on 670 North, going towards downtown Birmingham. And I got to the interstate. Bam, Revelation came to me. Lord just spoke a sentence that was just complete revelation to my heart about that passage. Guys, that's the beauty of biblical meditation. Not blowing through your Bible. That's one person, I don't like one-year Bible reading plans. Why do you want to read a book in one year that was wrote in over 1,700 years? Now listen, if that's your thing, cool, that's good with you. But what's the point of reading this in one year when it took 40 different people to write it over 1,700 years? Chew on it. Let it speak to you. Let it become alive. There's nothing wrong with living in the same place. I have lived in Colossians for nine months now. And there's times I'll be going from Colossians to Psalms or in Exodus or even Leviticus. Even Leviticus. That book I don't want to read because it's just boring at times. Let's just be honest. It's still the inspired word of God. You know, you ever read the begets? Adam begets so-and-so. And we think that's so stupid, but yet if you read the begets, you'll notice that there's about four or five of the begets that had a firstborn and a secondborn, and the firstborn died and the secondborn lived. You must be born again. Even in the begets, there's revelation. It's a book full of revelation that Holy Spirit wants to illuminate in your heart and reveal Jesus to you that you become more passionately in love with Jesus. Amen, Paul. That's good preaching. I encourage you, pray the scriptures. See, my prayer time and my study time, and by the way, let me just say this as well. My time to prepare for a message does not take my place of personal devotion. You know, I know, I know people, well, I, I, I pray up for two hours for five days. That's my, no, that, that was your prayer for ministry. My personal devotion to do this today with you does not take my place of going home to pursue him by myself. It can't. You can't let it. You, I know Justin doesn't do this, but Justin can't let worship rehearsal take place of his own personal worship. Can't do it. I want to give you five quick keys about biblical meditation, how it's helped me out. First thing is this. I always ask the Holy Spirit just to search my heart out. Why? I'm just to make sure there's nothing in my heart that's there. I need to Unforgiveness, repentance, bitterness, anger. Is there something, uh, just this week we've had a, a, a serious situation with a, a close, close friend. 
and I've just wanted to get in the flesh really bad. Take a, a pipe wrench to the situation if you get my drift. I'm just being honest with you guys. I, I've not arrived yet. And I said, I can't do that. So I pray for forgiveness and release and bless the individual that I want to take my pipe wrench to. Got to look good on tape. You know, Paul's got it all together. Why? Because I don't want anything in my heart to hinder the flow of the Holy Spirit. Just like this, you have plumbing. Water flows good as long as the plumbing on the inside is clean. But once you get gunk and junk on it, one the pressure, one the water may still come through. The pressure is not as great, so the effectiveness of the water is not going to be what you need it to be. So when your heart has got issues in it that haven't dealt with, you might have a flow, but it ain't the flow it was intended to be that night. And therefore, things are cut off from you. Number two, be teachable. Always be teachable. Never think, I read this passage a hundred times, it's nothing more to get out of it. You know, the, the shortest verse in the Bible, Jesus read, Jesus wept. There is still insight in that verse we have never delved into yet. So don't ever think, because I read, about me, Colossians 2. I know it all. Man, I, when I dive into the Colossians 2, Lord, what, what can I see tonight that I haven't saw last night? Because there's a height and a depth of his word we have never plumbed with people. Be teachable. Number three, present yourself completely to the Holy Spirit. What do you mean? Just offer everything, your eyes, your ears, your heart, ability to see him speak, see visions. Say, how do you want to reveal this word to me, whether it's through an audible voice or through an impression or through a vision? Like even last night, or yesterday at our family and prayer time, I was up here praying and just in worship, and the Holy Spirit just began to give me a vision of worship that would just shape the community. What happens? Just my, my, my body was open to the Holy Spirit to speak however he wanted to speak. Number four, this is a real big key right here, guys. This is huge. Don't be in a rush. The worst thing you can do is say, I've got 20 minutes to go read and go read. Because you, you, nothing's going to happen. I'm going to tell you that. Nothing's going to happen. You need to set aside time and don't have anything lined up. Now, if, you, if all you want is a 20-minute walk with God, that, that's fine. You, you do 20 minutes. But if you really want Him to give you nuggets and insight, it's going to take longer than 20 minutes. Now, there are times, because of what I've done for the past 18 years, or prime in my life, that I can go in and God will give me a word. Because there are times I'll go in for two, three, four hours and not have a word. And I've, and I've learned it's not God doesn't want to give you the word. He just wants to see how bad do you really want the word. We just stay and wait on me. We just sit here. So for me, I don't do 5 a.m. prayer times during the week. Because I got to get up at 5.45, get a bathroom, work. That's I can't do that. So my prayer time is at home at night when everybody goes to bed. Therefore, I have no interruptions. Rachel's in the bed. Amber's in the bed. TV's off. I can go my study. And I have unlimited time. Instead of trying to get up at 4.30, and I have one hour to do it. So don't be in a rush. Last thought is maintain a heart of thanksgiving. Be thankful for what he gives you. Increase in the kingdom comes through thanksgiving. Jesus gave thanks for the five thousand two fishes and he multiplied it and fed 5,000. Actually, he actually fed more like 15,000 because in biblical times, they don't include women and children. So that's probably more between like twelve to 15,000. Five loaves, two fish fed that many people because he was thankful for what he had. 
thanksgiving for what he's shown you unlocks a greater realm for you in the word. So let me just encourage you with this. If the word is not a priority in your heart, make it a priority this week. Listen, start with 15 minutes. Start with 20 minutes. But guys, build up. Build up. Take time. If you're at 30 minutes, man, let's try to go 45. And let's just learn to sit and wait. And have ears to hear what he always wants to reveal. Because guys, we have a book that's living and breathing. And Holy Spirit is the greatest teacher out there. If you'll just yield your heart to the Holy Spirit and say, give me understanding, he'll do it because he's a man who won't lie.